Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It is good to, to be here. I think as, as believers, as Christians, we have the most to be thankful for. We really do. I mean, we've been, we've been set free from our past. We've been set free from guilt. We've been set free from shame. We've been set free from a system where we need to earn our acceptance through what we do or don't do. And it's instead been given to us freely. We've been made new creations. It's incredible what we have and all because of the relationship we have with Jesus. It's something that has been freely given to us, not something we have to earn or achieve, but something he's he's just given to us with grace out of his love for us. And so I think as believers, we have the most to be thankful for. So let's let's all stand in prayer and let's let's pray again. We prayed earlier this morning. Let's pray again. Uh, another prayer of thanksgiving to to our Lord Jesus for what he's done. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done. What you endured on that cross, what you, what you gave up, how you left heaven, set all your rights aside, emptied yourself and came to earth and walked on this earth as a man, as one of us, suffered through all kinds of unspeakable horrors, but did so out of pure love, out of a pure desire that we could be united to you. And that's what you've done. And so we have the most to be thankful for, thankful for a past that's been taken care of, thankful for a future and a hope that is guaranteed and secure, but thankful today for, for a life that is empowered in strength, a, a life that will allow us to endure. We thank you for this, this wonderful land we're in where we get to gather together publicly and praise you and, support and, and worship you and just hang out with one another. So we love all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. <clears throat> well, if, if you brought your Bibles with you, then uh, you'll get a gold sticker. Well done. Um, God loves you more. So that's important to note. So uh, turn, if, if you want, to Ephesians chapter 1 for the last time. We're going to spend the last time in Ephesians chapter 1. Next time, we'll get into chapter 2. But if you've noticed, we're, we're taking our time through this book. We're not rushing through uh, going through Ephesians. And, and the reason is because there's so much there. There's so much to, to learn and, and, and Father to speak to us through. And so we're really making time to stop and explore Father's word. And, and I hope that you've been blessed, as I've been blessed in, in preparing and studying. I've, I've seen things I never saw before. And so I've just been really enjoying that time. And, and so I hope that you've been finding that as well. And, and if you've missed any of the messages or if you're new and you're just sort of catching up with us, I, I want you to know you can subscribe to our podcast. And uh, so it's easy. We've got all kinds of different podcasts. If you've got your smartphone, that's the easiest way. You can open up if you have Apple, the Apple podcast. If you have an Android, Google podcast is probably the best one to use there. If you have a favorite one and just search for New Life Kitchener or New Life Fellowship Kitchener and you should see that logo and that's the one and you just hit subscribe and then all the messages that we've, we've taught here, not just the ones I've done, but the ones that Greg and Josh and Robin as well, all of them are available on the, on the podcast for you just simply to listen to wherever you are while you're driving or going for a walk or something like that. And then they're just automatically updated. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, if you don't have a smartphone or you know, the word podcast scares you and you're not sure what that means, then we've also got them on our website. And so you just go to newlifekw.ca, click on the teaching tab. And then again, all the messages are on there and you just listen to it on your computer. If you don't know what a website is and that scares you, we also have them in eight track. And so just come see me and we'll get you a cartridge and you can just kind of plug it into your eight track player. So, all right. Well, our, our, our passage this morning is going to focus in on this, this entity, this thing called church. And it's really, it's the first time in this epistle that Paul mentions the word church. And it, but it's not going to be the last time. He's going to mention it a few more times. But, um, but before we get into it, I thought it would be interesting to do a little bit of a word study on the word church and the history of that. And so the, the word church actually derives itself from an old English word, and I think it's pronounced churchy. I know it doesn't look like it's pronounced that way based on its spelling, but I think it's pronounced churchy. And so that word, the old English word, is actually derived from an old German word. 
Now, I am so glad that Mike is here because I have no idea how to pronounce that word. I try looking it up and you know, playing it on YouTube, and I just I sat there for about five minutes going, huh? So how do you pronounce that word? Kershia. Kershia. All right. So that was way better than YouTube. You, you have a new career if you ever want that. So, so that's the German word. And so that's where kind of it's interesting. We get the word church from this German word, Kershia. But that word is actually from another Greek word called kirikon. And I doubt I'm pronouncing that word right properly either. But again, I don't do English words properly. So all bets off. So, so that's, the, that's the, um, the Hebrew word, or sorry, the Greek word. And, and the reason for that is because the, Hebrew, sorry, the Greek word there literally translates to of the Lord. And, and so uh, this idea here in, in the, the, the German word was, again, the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's where they are getting this idea from. So it kind of makes sense how they would translate the word, where we get the word church from, house of the Lord. That's essentially what it's, it's re- referring to. What's interesting about this, though, is that's not the word that Paul uses when he's describing church. The word he actually uses is the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia translates literally to a gathering or a community, specifically a people that are called out into community. Now, why does this matter? Why is this even significant? Well, that concept begins to change how we identify and how we look at church and what we think church is. So this idea here of, of church used to be called Ecclesia and then was replaced with Kirikon right around 300 AD. Now, for those you know, historical scholars out there, right around 300 AD was the time where Emperor Constantine recognized Christianity as the official religion, the official faith of the Roman Empire. Up to that point, they had all the Greek and Roman gods. Zeus became Jupiter and so forth. And they had Venus and all those other gods that they would worship. And now they were transitioning and leaving that, those, those gods to worship Jesus. And Jesus is going to be the God. But what had happened is they didn't just to make a hard switch, drop Zeus, and now we're going to worship Jesus. They, they shifted and they merged and they brought together the two. And so for a lot of their worship, a lot of their religious aspects were done in, was done in t- temples. And so they would go and they would worship in a temple and they'd offer sacrifices because for them, that's where their God lived, or at least that's where he would visit. So Zeus would come and visit his temple. Ares would come and visit her temple and so forth. And so that's kind of how they approached it. And so now they would have these temples to God. And, and so we'd have that. I mean, today, kind of look at the basilicas and the cathedrals that we see in the Catholic Church. And they have all these mammoth, beautiful, ornate buildings that are essentially the, the temples. And people go there to the house of the Lord, to the house of God, to go worship God. And it's not just the Roman Catholic Church that does that. It's, it's really across Christianity. I remember growing up being told, I'm going to the house of the Lord every time I was going to church. And so that's where you would go, and that's where you would go and worship God. And so that thinking began to, to shift now, where, where it used to be church was a gathering, church was a group of people, to now being a building. It, it meant that something that we were meant to be becomes something that we now do. Something that we were defined by internally now begins to define who we are externally. And so there's, it seems like a, shuttle, a subtle shift, but it's actually a massive shift in our thinking and our approach. Because now what we can do is we can begin to compartmentalize, we can kind of put into boxes, our religious life is here on Sundays when we're going to church, and the rest of the week it's in other ways. And, and so even that phrase, right? I bet you most of you this morning use that phrase, I'm going to church, or at least in your mind, or you said it to someone, we're going to church. And so you can see how deeply ingrained this shift of being a gathering, being a group, has shifted to being a building of some sort. So here's our problem. So the word church isn't actually the best word. But the problem is the horse is out of the barn. 
I mean, I, I could sit here and I could say, we're not, we're going to drop the word church because that's, that's a wrong word. It's referring to something else. And we're going to, instead, we're going to use a different word. We're going to call it this gathering and so forth. And that's what we're going to use. The problem is people don't understand it that way. And, and what the risk we have now is we're sort of like the old guy sitting on a park bench shouting at the clouds. It's pointless. It's meaningless. It's not going to change anything. And so we're not going to abandon the word church because that's kind of what people are familiar with. And it's not wrong to think about we're going to church in the morning. I'm not going to chastise anyone for thinking that way. But I want us to begin to think differently about what is the church. How do we define the church? How do we think of the church? And so that's kind of what we want to look at this morning is understanding what is the church? What is the role of the church? How do we participate in the church? How do we experience church more than just on a Sunday morning? Does that make sense? All right. So let's read our passage then for this morning. We're going to look at, look at two verses, verses 22 and verse 23. Here God God the Father raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So verse 22, beginning of that verse, we saw earlier, Paul, Paul says that God the Father subjected all of creation under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And we saw that last time we were here, right? We saw how Jesus is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords, that all rule, all power, all dominion, all whether spiritual or on earth, doesn't matter about the governments, doesn't matter about you know, jurisdictions and so forth. Every person, angel, demon, man, woman, child, we sometimes think toddlers, but I'm not sure because how they act. But the reality is all of creation has been subjected under the, the, the authority of, of God. And really what it says here is it, it, the, the phrase that Paul uses is that all of creation has been subjected to, meaning that it was placed under the authority of God. But he's going to transition now, and he's going to focus on a specific group, which is the church, the believers, the people who've placed their faith in Christ. And he's going to transition to them, and he uses a slightly different phrase. He doesn't say that you and I have been subjected to him. Instead, he uses this idea that Jesus has been given to us. And I like how Paul phrases that. Jesus has been given to us as our head. And that word there, give, is implying a gift. So Jesus is a gift to us as our head, and we are his body. And so this idea here, this, the word that's translated the, the church is, again, that word ecclesia, a gathering or a community of people who've been called out. That's this group called the church. Now, before we get into defining the church in more detail uh, and, and w looking at what it is and what it's not, I want to address some of the common critiques that I hear about churches. And you know what? I didn't have to look very far to come up with these ones because these are critiques I used to have at times. So I think these are common critiques that are based on people in the church, outside the church. I know I've had some of these, but some of the common ones I've heard is that the church is very judgmental. That sometimes it's, you know, the, the church or Christians, they talk about sin and specifically hell in such a way that they actually want people to go to hell. And, and I've seen that with people where, where they're actually, that when they talk about hell, they actually want that person to go to hell because they're so angry at that person. And that's, that's not what the church is to be. That's not the approach that we want to have. I mean, when I think about hell, it terrifies me that anybody would spend just a mere half of a fraction of a second in a place like that. That's horrendous. And so that's, that's not what we want people to experience. Um, that, is, that is a horrible concept, but it's real. And so some people criticize churches for being judgmental. Uh, other people cr criticize churches for being narrow-minded that they're old-fashioned, that they're not very progressive in their thinking, that it's out of date. 
And I hear this from time to time where people say, well, you know what? I don't know how we can follow a book that's 2,000 years old. And so they, they kind of think it's so narrow-minded. It needs to change. It needs to progress and so forth. And, and the reality is the, the church, we're not the head. We don't get to decide what's true and what's not true. What's, what's righteous and unrighteous, what's holy and profane, that's not up to us to decide. It's not about trying to follow popular opinion. It's Jesus is the head, and he's the one that's dictating the terms. And, and he has the authority to do so, but he's also the only one, the only adult in the room that actually knows what's holy and profane, what's, what's good and what's not good, what's healthy and unhealthy. And so we're deferring to him and to his leadership and his guidance. But I mean, again, that's a, that's a common criticism. And, and I'd even say a right criticism at times. You know, it wasn't too long ago, sadly, really wasn't too long ago, where churches in the United States in particular were refusing to do any kind of interracial marriages because they felt like that was wrong. That's horrible. That's absolutely horrible because there's nothing in Scripture which would say anything against that. And so, you know, a lot of these criticisms, again, they're not unfounded. You know, the churches have caused great harm. And so because of that, another common criticism I heard, this is one I had for a long time, well, Christians are hypocritical. They talk about love. They talk about acceptance. They talk about forgiveness. And then what do they do? They attack. They beat up. They condemn. They criticize. They're angry at people. And you know who they're the worst towards? Towards each other. You get, you get someone in the church that, that has a fall, who struggles with something of, of morality. Man, do we ever jump on them and attack them. I heard this one story. Um, it was right around the time where, uh, um, what was his name? Jimmy Swagger. Remember Jimmy Swagger? Big TV evangelist, kind of in the Jim Baker era, going back into the 80s. If, if you don't know who Jimmy Swaggart is, go Google him afterwards. But he was this huge, huge TV evangelist at the time. Big time following and, and so forth. This is all before the internet. And, uh, and then he got caught um, you know, with adultery, sleeping with prostitutes, and, and I think he was into drugs and stuff. Uh, I don't remember all the details here, but, but he, he, he had this huge moral failing. And, and the church just immediately jumped on him and threw him out because of how horrific this was. And, and so Josh McDowell was at a gathering of a bunch of pastors, and, and it was just when this had happened. And it was actually in, in Jimmy Swaggart's backyard. It was in New Orleans or around there. And so they asked, you know, Josh, what do you think about all this? What do you tell your kids? He says, well, my, my daughter asked me about this. And she said, you know, the kids at school are saying, oh, they should, we should throw them out. We should get rid of them. And, and he should never preach again. And so Josh McDowell says to his daughter, and he says, you know, I don't think that. I don't think we should jump on him and attack him. And the reason I don't, I don't think that is because maybe one day you're going to be in that situation. And I want you to know that I'm a safe person that you can come to in your struggles. And so that's what the church is meant to be. But it's not always been that way. And so I just want to start with that acknowledgement that the church has failed. Although God has made the church perfect, it doesn't act perfectly all the time. And there's a lot of people in the church that make really poor choices that have hurt a lot of people. And so I want to acknowledge that. And if you're one of those people that has is, you know, faced the wrath of that, then on behalf of the church, let me apologize to you. Let me ask you to forgive the church, forgive those people, not for their sake, but for your sake, so that you can be free. Because that's not what church is supposed to be. And so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's try to understand what is the bathwater and what's the baby, and let's keep the baby and get rid of the bathwater. Does that make sense? All right. So let's, let's begin to define the church. And so here's the definition I want to start with. The church is the body of Christ and the chief vessel that Jesus expresses himself through to serve one another with the love of Christ and reach a lost and hurting world. That's kind of, me, kind of our working definition for this morning. 
And, and we start there because that's kind of how Paul describes it. That's how Paul defines it, right? He, he says in verse 22 that, that Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. We're the body of Christ. We're, we're expressions of his life. And it, we're an expression to one another, but then also we get to be an expression into this lost and hurting world. And so that's really what we're going to try to unpack and explore this morning. So let's start first now with a statement about what church is not. The church is not a social club or an institution or even a place. Right? We, we talked about that. The church is not a building. It's not the temple of God. It's not the house of the Lord. That's not what church is. Church is ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's a coming together of people. So it's not a place. You don't go to church. What was interesting in, in studying and reading this passage, reading different commentators and what they're talking about, there is some discussion whether or not Paul here was talking about the church being the universal church or the local church. How many people have heard of those two terms, those two designations, universal and local, right? Universal refers to all believers and really of all time, whereas the local church refers to what would be, you know, here at New Life, new people here coming together in this group. Then there would be another group, maybe at Alora Road, where we were planted from, and there's a group there, and that's another local church, and you have all these different local churches. And, and I understand the reason why we might talk in those terms, but please understand, God doesn't talk in those terms. God doesn't think of it in that sense. To God, there's just the church. There's just the body of Christ. I mean, think about it. If we, if we try to break it up in that sense, then it's like, well, then there's the arm over here, and you got a leg over here, and then, then the shoulder's meeting on this side, and the wrist is all meeting over there. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. And so we're creating this division that isn't required and isn't necessary. Please understand, there's just one church. Some, some of you came with us when we came to uh, start this church. And they, they weren't part of the initial planting, but they, they left the lower road to, to help support us. And now they're, they've made this their home. Please understand, they didn't leave a church to join another church. You guys never left the church. There's just one church. And it just so happens that this morning, you are gathered together here at this school where we're worshiping and praising God. But you may go somewhere else. And that's wonderful. And that's great because it's just one church. God isn't about, you know, establishing all these different divided kingdoms. That's not it. We're all part of one kingdom and we're advancing that one kingdom. That's what it's about. And, and I think that's really important for us to understand so that we, we realize now that we're not competing with, other, with one another. And I think I see that too often where churches compete with other churches. Churches are not our competition. We're supporting all churches because there is only one church. There's only one united church. And so when one is successful, we're all successful. So let's not backbite and tear down and undermine what God's doing somewhere else. It's wonderful that we have opportunities. And really what's great, even different flavors of churches. That some churches are more liturgical and other churches are more free and outgoing and, and, and you know, able to, to raise their hands and dance and so forth and, and everything in between. That's wonderful. That's great. Some churches like to have you know, louder music and others quieter music. That's wonderful. That's great. It's kind of cool that you and I, we get to pick and choose a little bit in that sense, but we're all part of one church. So it's not a place. There's only one church. But, but here's the other thing. The church is also, it's not primarily a social community service organization. That's not the goal. The, the goal of the church isn't so we can get together and we have enough people and now we're going to go and, and you know, fight some cause and change the world. I mean, that may happen. That, that may come as a result of our faith. I mean, slavery was ended in the UK and then eventually over into the, uh, into the Americas, largely because of one man, William Wilberforce, and he did it because of his faith. Let's understand that, that Christianity and, and Jesus has a great role to play in community, in the society as a whole, and we can even begin to impact and change the culture. 
But that wasn't the reason that the church got together. That was more of a product of the church coming together. And so as, as we gather, we may go and we may serve the, and help the people who are you know, disadvantaged, help the poor, those who are sick. And we might you know, engage into the community and start to clean things up and, and help different you know, low-advantaged kids and so forth. There's all kinds of great things we can do. But that's not the primary focus of the church. It's bigger than that. Right? This, this morning when we gather as a group, we're not coming to church. We're experiencing church. And we're hopefully trying to experience church as the, as the early Christians did. Right? We saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, a long time ago when we were going through that passage, how the church, when they would gather together, they gathered together with a purpose to, to study the apostles' teaching. That's why we're reading the, the word of God. That's why we're studying it. That's why I'm not up here trying to give you my opinion and my philosophy of life. It's not, I don't want you to follow me. We're, we're going to le- learn from what the apostles were teaching so that we could follow Jesus. That's the goal. So we're gathering for that. And we're, we're gathering for a time of worship and prayer. And then we're gathering for fellowship, sharing life with one another, encouraging and supporting one another. That's what we get to do this morning. Next statement. The church is a diverse gathering whose only required commonality is recognizing that Jesus is Lord. I love that idea that we really are diverse. We're not based on a certain type of political view. Please understand, Jesus was neither conservative nor liberal. I guarantee you. Right? And I mean, right now we got an election coming on and and it's easy for us to say, well, if you're a Christian, you have to vote for a particular party and so forth. That's really not the case. It's not the case at all because Jesus doesn't belong to a political party. He, He didn't share all of one party's views. The church is not going to be based on your personality type. You could be introverted. You could be extroverted. You can be outgoing. You can be shy. It doesn't really matter. It's for all of us. Church is not based on which sports team you cheer for. It's not based on which hobbies you engage in, what kind of music you listen to, what style of clothing you like, your ethnicity, your views on abortion, what the real problem is in the Middle East. Or even if you think Iron Man is better than Captain America. I mean, clearly it's Cap. But I mean, if you think it's Iron Man, you have a place here too. That's what's so great about the church, that we don't have to agree on everything. The only thing we really need to agree upon is that Jesus is Lord. That's it. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. But here's what's kind of cool, I think, about the church. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, you're still welcome to be here. You're still welcome to fellowship within the community because our mission is to love and not just love the one that's like you, but love everyone. Remember what Jesus talked about with the the good Samaritan and how he says that we're to love our neighbor. Well, who's our neighbor? And the Jews, they were thinking, well, we love other Jews. We love people that are like us. As a Pharisee, I'll love a Pharisee. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, and Jesus says, no, actually, you just love everyone, even the one that's not like you, even the one that's opposed to you. And so I get to love senator fans. That's, that's my wonderful, I get to do that. Because, I mean, how hard their life must be as a senator's fan. That's just, that's brutal, right? So it's a place where we can allow for diversity. We can allow for diverse opinions, even wrong opinions, because what unites us is greater than what divides us. And please understand this. What unites us is the person of Jesus Christ. He is what unites. That's why he's bigger than any division, any disagreements we might have. It's based on his unconditional love for the entire world and every person in it. Right now, with that election coming on in just, what, 10 days or something like that or less, that election that's going to happen, I guarantee you, you look at those political leaders and there's one person you don't like. Maybe two. Maybe the whole lot of them you don't like. Here's the thing. Keep this in mind. 
That's someone Jesus loves. That's someone Jesus loves. And if we can, if we can keep that in mind, then we don't have to agree with the person, but we can treat that person with respect. And we can then also treat the other people that are voting for that crazy, no, sorry, that voting for that person, we can treat them with respect too. All right, next statement. Church is not a gathering of people who have their life together. Hallelujah. Right? Because if that were the case, we're closing in prayer and we're all going home. Right? Nobody, nobody has their life together. Here's the thing. Please understand this. God has made us perfect. Hebrews 10, 14. By one offering for all time, he has perfected you and I. He's made us perfect. But who here acts perfectly all the time? Nobody. Because the reality is we're still weighed down by our past memories, feelings of guilt and shame, feelings that we're not enough and we failed. And we have all kinds of struggles from our past, what has happened to us and what we've done. And that weighs us down. And that leads us now to some really bad choices and some bad habits that ends up hurting ourselves primarily and then others around us as well. And so nobody has it all together. What's crazy is when we get together on this Sunday morning or any other time we get together, it's so easy to look at others and say, man, they just got it all together. I mean, I don't know how Mike does it. He just seems to have it all figured out. Why can't I be like that? And the reality is he doesn't. Nobody does. And that's what makes it so beautiful that you, you get to come here and be real. And say, you know what? I struggled this morning. I almost killed my kid this morning. I'm thinking about killing him on the way home, actually, because it was that bad. I had not come down yet. And you know what? You will be loved and accepted, and we will stand by you and with you, and it's okay. And we'll shield the kid for a little while. I mean, we will, whatever you need, we're here for you. Because that's what the church gets to be. So there's no need to pretend that everything's okay. There's, there's no need to hide our, our frustrations and our struggles with ourselves or life in general. No need to put on that mask that everything's okay, everything's fine. You just get to be real. And in being real, and being where you are, you get to be loved. And please understand, being loved, experiencing that love is more important than being fixed. It really is. It's more important than having everything all together. Because if it was really important that you get it all together, then Jesus better get on that. But apparently, he didn't feel the need to snap his fingers and make everything perfect in your life, that all your struggles have gone away and everything works perfectly and properly. He didn't seem to care about that. Instead, what he's done is he says, it's more important that you know and experience my love for you. And so because of that, next statement, the church is a family, a support group where we're in this together. I don't mean a support group in the sense that we're all going to get together in a counseling session and share our problems and so forth, although that may happen from time to time. I meant more of a support group in the sense that in this hurting, in this you know, miserable world where you're struggling and you're facing down the constant attacks of the enemy who's condemning you, who's shaming you for either being too much of a mess or not enough of a mess because your problems are smaller than everyone else's and you ought to be, you know, have it all together by now. What's your problem? No matter where you are, as a church, we get to stand by you and surround you. That's, that's one of the reasons why we have those prayer boxes out on that table, is so that if you're struggling with something, you can write that out and know that the elders are praying for you. And if you want us to, to respond to you, then, then just say, please contact, and here's my phone number or email. And we, will, we, will, we long for that opportunity to reach out and stand by you and support you. 
That's what we're wanting to do. We don't want to see anyone struggle because if, if someone's overwhelmed and, and dying, then we're all in that together. And that, that's just this beautiful picture. I, I love this definition of a team that, that, you know, you are me and I am you, that we're a we. What happens to you happens to me. You know, you think about a team. Part of the team can't win and part of the team loses. You either you all win or you all lose. That's how it works. And so we want to come alongside all of us together and support all of us together so we can experience that together. And when I think about that, I thought about this last week and how critical that is in our world. This week, we, our news waves, the radio and internet and newspapers were filled with the story that happened in Hamilton. That, that 14-year-old boy, Devin Selvey, who, who was bullied to the, pact where, to the point where someone murdered him by stabbing him in the back in front of his mom. And that, that moment was a product of an escalation of weeks of bullying. Kids in grade nine. So the whole time in grade nine, I mean, we're what, six weeks into the school year. That's all he experienced. And it escalated to that point. And I thought about that and how horrific that was. And I thought about, you know, most bullying takes place where someone is alone. And either in this case here, it was a group of people, a group of kids who are bullying this one. Or other times, it might be one-on-one, -on -one, but it's where one has all kinds of power over the other, hence the bullying. And so really, what's the only answer? What if, what if he wasn't alone? What if there was a group of kids that stood with him? Maybe it didn't happen. I can't guarantee that because, I mean, to me, I, I can't even fathom why an 18-year-old kid would stab a 14-year-old kid. That just, I don't get that. that, that that's evidence of the broken, sin-cursed, sinful world that we live in. But what if there is a group of people surrounding that little boy that says, we're going to stand with you and protect you? And maybe that bullying doesn't happen. And maybe that kid that's doing the bullying would see that group and say, I want to be a part of that too. Because my guess is the 18-year-old and the 14-year-old and the two 16-year-olds, the reason they're bullying is because of how much hurt and pain that they are carrying themselves. That they felt better by beating someone else up. And so as a church, think about it. We have a bully. We have an enemy. And his whole agenda is to peel you away from the larger group. Kind of like how, how animals hunt other animals, right? When a lion comes and it's, it's chasing the antelope, it's trying to find that one weak, slow antelope and peel it off from the larger group so we can attack that one. Well, that's what this enemy is going to do for you and I. He's going to try to peel us away from the larger group, isolate us, make us feel alone. Because now you can get trapped up in your head and your thinking. Thinking that is now being placed in there by the enemy. That you're no good. That you're unlovable. That you're just a, a big burden on everybody. Wouldn't it be better if you weren't around? And suddenly now thoughts of suicide start to make sense. Or maybe he takes it another way where thoughts of, of self-righteousness and anger and, and just criticism and towards other people and whatever it is, he's pulling you away so that he can bring you down. He can make you less effective within the kingdom. And so the church gets to offer protection to us and says, I don't, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're struggling in, what you're, what you're dealing with. Let me love you. Let me stand with you. Let me help protect you in this moment. Next statement. God's desire is to work through the church. Remember how we said earlier that the, the church is defined as the body of Christ? 
that we're, we're the ones that get to express Christ. Well, I, I love this, I, this idea here because Paul, he was talking about how the, 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 the fullness of Jesus, this is, you know, the body of Christ is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. And the word there for fill literally is cram. I love that picture here where Jesus, he's crammed himself inside of you. Like there's, there's like, it's packed. There is not a space within you that Jesus doesn't reside in. You are crammed with Jesus. Isn't that a cool thought? Isn't that a cool picture? He is squeezed in you. And now he's looking to burst out. So he's filled us with all of his fullness. Isn't that great? It doesn't matter your spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian for. And please understand how long you've been a Christian for and spiritual maturity are not the same thing necessarily. You might have been a Christian for one day. You might have been a Christian for 80 years. You're still crammed with Jesus. You might read your Bible and pray all the time and have a really intimate, close relationship with Jesus. Or you might feel intimidated and scared and unsure and don't know the stories of the Bible very well and, and don't, ha- don't feel confident in praying and, and so you don't do it very much and you're still crammed with Jesus. The presence of Jesus is not dependent upon you and what you do. The presence of Jesus is just a given. It's the result of our faith in Christ that he's been crammed up inside of us. But now... What happens is together we get to create this, you know, this beautiful picture of Jesus, this mosaic. It's this, this incredible image here where all these unique individual, you know, pictures of Christ and you, you know, on their own, they just seem to be one off. But when you look at all of them, what do we begin to see? We begin to see the face of Jesus. We begin to see the nature of Jesus. See, what, how God has arranged this, what he desires to do, he is the source of everything you and I need. Please understand that. There's only one source of life in this world. It's not your spouse. They're, it's not your kids. It's not your bank account. It's not your job. It's not your reputation. It's not your ministry. It's not your friends. They are not a source of life. There's only one source of life, and that's Jesus Christ. But what he wants to do is Jesus wants to work through the body of Christ in order to minister to you life. If, if you want to experience the love of God, you could experience it directly from Jesus, but he desires to share that love through another brother or sister in the Lord. And the reason for that. Although, in my opinion, it's very inefficient. And as an engineer, it's all about efficiency. But it, God chooses to do it that way because now two people are blessed rather than just one. That, that I get to experience Christ in Marco as Marco loves me. Not only am I blessed by the love of God, but Marco is too because he got to be a part of what God's doing. Do you see why we need each other? Because I can't fully know God without you. Ian is a unique expression of Jesus that without Ian, we wouldn't know Jesus the right way. So Ian is critical. He's so important for us to get to know who God is. And that's true for all of us. We each bring a different aspect, a different element that when you see it together, we get to see the body of Christ. We get to see who God is. Because he's the source of all through one another to one another. Does that make sense? Now here's another statement. Jesus will build his church. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, speaking to Peter, where he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. We're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says to this, he says, I say to you that Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overpower it. It wasn't the P 
Peter that's the rock. It was the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. That's the foundation. That's the rock that Jesus will build the church. It's not our job. It's not up to us. He will do it. But guess who who he will employ? Us. Again, we get to be a part of what he's doing. He's ultimately responsible, but he's choosing to involve us. Why would he do that? The same reason why you as a, as a mom or a dad might invite your little kids into the kitchen to help bake you cookies with you. It's not to make your life easier, right? That's, they don't help in that way. It makes it longer. It makes it messier. It makes it more difficult. So why would parents do that with their kids? So they can hang out with their kids. They can spend time with them. They get to love on them and have great memories of baking with their kids. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's baking this thing called the church. He's baking his kingdom. And he's invited you and I into the kitchen. And yeah, we're going to break some eggs and make a mess. Yeah, this, the cookies aren't going to come out perfectly round and so forth. And boy, there's a lot of chocolates and chips in this cookie. But nonetheless, God's invited us to be a part of this so that he and I, you and him, get to experience this joy and this life together. And so what that might mean is we get to maybe invite people to church. Now, what did you think of when I said that? You thought of a place. We'll invite them on a Sunday morning. Now, you may do that, and that's fine. But I want you to change your thinking, because too often, that's what it's been. I'm inviting them to a Sunday morning experience. I'm inviting them to come and involve themselves in a bit of a concert, and, and this guy giving a talk that's not that interesting all the time. And so we're inviting them to that experience. That doesn't sound so much fun. But what if we saw churches as a fellowship, as a community, a community where love and acceptance is expressed to one another. And if you're going to invite someone to church, to Ecclesia, what are you inviting them to now? Hey, do you want to be part of our group? Do you want to be part of a, a community of people that love and support one another, that stand by you when you're struggling? And you may not be struggling today, but one day you will, and we want to be there for you. Just as someday I might be struggling, and you can be there for me. So what if we could begin to invite people to that? And so what that means is, how do we do that? Well, get to know people. Get to know their heart. Get to know your, your neighbor. Get to know your, maybe some family members. We have this great opportunity called Thanksgiving. Anyone heard of it? Where families get together, and they're going to they're gonna celebrate what they're thankful for. Well, maybe that's an opportunity to find out a little bit more about your family, about what are you struggling with? How can, I, how can I help you with that? Maybe there's some coworkers or some friends. Get to know their stories a little bit more. And then maybe simply say, that's, that's really hard that you're going through that. Is it okay if I pray for you? Oh, okay. In fact, is it okay? Maybe I got some friends at church. Is it okay if they pray for you? Because they really want to do that. Oh, uh, Okay. And then maybe you can invite them out to something. Maybe you invite them out to this, this family night we're having in a couple weeks. Be a great opportunity. Maybe there's some young, you know, young families and they could come and they just hang out. Maybe they see it as just, it's free babysitting. Hey, whatever. We just want to invite you into this community that we're starting, that we're creating, that we're a part of. And we can invite them into that. Then maybe, maybe evangelism isn't so hard anymore. Maybe evangelism isn't inviting them to a building or to a place. It's just loving on them and letting them experience the love of Jesus. And then they get to discover who Jesus really is. Now, let, give me, let me give you a warning and then we're going to close. At times, this will be tension filled. At times, there's going to be hurt and there's going to be pain. And it's going to be misunderstandings. You are going to cringe when you see some of the things people say. 
you're going to cringe or others are going to cringe when they hear what you say. So there's going to be all kinds of difficulties from time to time. And, and I wish I could say that we've figured out the secret sauce. We've got it all mastered. We've got the recipe. And you're never going to get hurt. That's not the case. That'd be a false promise. I can't guarantee that. In fact, I could probably guarantee that you're going to get hurt. And if your plan is, I'm never going to get hurt by anyone ever again. If that's really your plan, then let me suggest to you, go hang out in the graveyard. Because the only people there are dead, and they can't hurt you. At the same time, though, you will be hurt. Because those dead people can't love you. They can't embrace you. They can't support you. They can't stand by you. They can't protect you. And you will be alone. So let me invite you to risk. Risk stepping into community. Risk being a part of a, this fellowship more than just coming, you know, 10 o'clock on Sunday and leaving 11.15 or 11.20 or even 11.30. Be a part of the community at, at large. Make friendships. That's why we've got the tea and the coffee out there. Is basically we're trying to, to bribe you into staying. That's our, we're manipulating. It is, it's true. I'm just being upfront with it. We're just trying to buy time for you to talk with one another. And maybe, maybe you exchange phone numbers and text each other throughout the week. How's it going? You were telling me about this. And how's, how's that happen? How's it progressing? How can I pray for you? Or maybe, maybe do the really brave thing and say, hey, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Maybe, maybe you just meet a stranger. Maybe you invite them over after church. Maybe not today. It's Thanksgiving. You got plans probably. But maybe next week or the week after. And just begin to build these relationships so that when things fall apart, you've got a family, a safety net, who are there to capture, catch you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done and who you are and what you've given to us. We got this cool thing called life in you. Really, it's what the world needs. It's what the world is desperate for. And so would you, would you give us the, the faith and the confidence to step out and risk being vulnerable with one another, risk community, risk sharing life with other people, knowing that we might get hurt, but the reward is life in you is so great, is so wonderful that we would risk it. And then have the courage to not just share that with one another, but to share that invitation to a lost and hurting world. That while we might invite them here on a Sunday morning, we're not inviting them to a place. We're inviting them to a relationship with you and with one another. In your name we pray. Amen.